Amen. Thank you. Good evening. Why don't you open your Bibles to Psalm 112. While you're turning there, just uh, so you know, next Wednesday uh, we'll be canceling the midweek Bible study um, because of the holidays and everything, so we won't have that next Wednesday. Um, Yeah, so Psalm uh, 112, keep your fingers there and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to Psalm 112 in a minute here. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Actually, we'll jump up to verse 2. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, You are our epistle, an epistle meaning a letter, right? An instructional letter. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So Paul here, he's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says the church Um, And truly us, as part of that body of Christ, are an epistle of Christ, or his letter, his workmanship, his, uh, his writing, his work that he's done, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that's the heart. That means if we've placed our faith in Christ, the Lord is the one who's working in our heart, and our life through the power of the Spirit of the living God to write out uh, His message to the people around us and in our lives. It's His work in us, transforming us to be what He wants people to see and know. Jump down to uh, verse 7. Actually, verse uh, 6. Uh, it says, Paul's writing about this, and he, he's talking about his trust towards God. And he says, uh, verse 6, uh, God also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And he says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And, and Paul there, he's, he's talking about no longer being uh, enslaved to the law, the works of the flesh, but to have the work of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives there. And that in in being uh, written by the Spirit of the living God and His work in in our hearts, then we have true life. Where the law taught us that we're dead because of our sin, because of our falling short of the glory of God, the Spirit of God, the living God in us, gives us new life because of the work of Christ, because of what He's done. And then verse 7, it says, But if the ministry of death, that law, that, that writing of ink, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Here Paul's calling the church, 
back to that um, episode we talked about last time I taught in Psalm 111, where Moses was on the mountain and the Lord let his glory pass in front of him. And after that, he came down from the mountain and Moses' face shone with the glory of the Lord, reflecting the Lord's glory. And he had to wear that veil. So he's calling that to mind. He says, if there was that glory uh, from that where where the Lord wrote down uh, the law on the tablets of stone, he says, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Because the law brought death, but the Spirit gives life. And it says, verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, the Spirit of God in us, producing the righteousness that the law could not produce, exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. It was passing away. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. What Paul's stressing to them is that because it's a work of the Spirit of God in us, it's a work that will remain. If the Lord is doing the work, if the Lord is in our hearts, it's a work that remains. And the glory is so much more. And then he says, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope of that glory, of reflecting the glory of God, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. There's a blindness there, even of the, in that Old Testament. It says, nevertheless, nevertheless, there's the blindness in reading the Old Testament. There's the, the, the letter that kills. There's the, the tablets of stone that are written. Uh, all of that. But he says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, that veil of blindness is taken away. So now there's that revealing of the glory of God, that that being exposed to his presence, to who he is, like we looked at last time in Psalm 111, the Lord who's gracious and kind and abounding in mercy, all of those things, being exposed to that, the veil is taken away. And then verse 17, it says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty set free from the bondage to the law, to the works of the flesh. And then verse 18 is the verse that I wanted to emphasize here before we go back to Psalms. But it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So that unveiling, that revealing who Christ is, the work of the Spirit in our hearts reveals to us his character, and the goal is to transform us into his image from glory to glory, to be like Christ, to be like the Lord. And this is the work of the Spirit of the Lord in our hearts. So turn to Psalm 112, and let's pray. I know we didn't pray yet. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would open up Psalm 112 to us, Lord. Uh, In My first reading, it was difficult to read through looking at the context and looking at what it's speaking of, Lord. But but I 
I believe that you spoke to me and I pray that you would speak to the people here tonight just about this high calling that we have as reflecting your glory as we look at Psalm 112. Lord, we pray that your spirit truly would be the spirit of life speaking in our hearts and our our minds tonight, Lord. We pray that we would apply the things that we read, that we would take to heart what you have to say for us. As Mariel prayed, all these things that, that we encounter in our lives have been filtered through your hands. And you know, Lord, what we need. And you've given us, if we place our faith in you, you've given us your spirit. You've given us the life. And you've, you've done the work for us to place your spirit in us and to begin to transform us into your image, Lord. I pray that we would be obedient to that high calling. Lord, we pray again that you would speak to us tonight in your name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 112 continues Psalm 111. That's why I wanted to jump over to that 2 Corinthians text. Remember Psalm 111, it talks about praising the Lord within the whole congregation of the people. And then goes in to talk about the Lord's works how great his works are, how they're everlasting, how they're honorable, they're glorious. His righteousness endures forever. His works are made to be remembered. He's gracious and full of compassion. He provides for those who fear him. He's mindful of his covenant. He declared his power to uh, his people, the power of his works. Um, And it goes on and talks all about the Lord. And then verse 10 at the end of uh, Psalm 111, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Psalm 112 jumps off from that point and says again, Praise the Lord or hallelujah. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Verse 10 of 111, remember it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Blessed is that man who fears the Lord. When you, when you fear him, when you reverence him, when you recognize his holiness, his awesome power, and, and, and look at the works that he's done, and you have that fear, fear of being on the wrong side, fear of... of of not being obedient to him, but also reverence and awe for just how great and awesome and mighty he is. That fear and the fear of the judgment that God has declared upon sin and unrighteousness. That when we have that fear, it's the beginning of wisdom, knowing how to rightly live, knowing how to apply what we see, what we hear, how to walk through our lives that we have faced for us. That fear is not just this, okay, now we're going to be obedient to the Lord and get in line, we're going to be strictly following the Lord. But there's a blessing that comes with it. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. That word blessed means, oh, how happy. How happy. There's a happiness that comes from that fear of the Lord. Because that fear of the Lord, like one eleven says, the beginning of wisdom, we're living rightly. Now we're in the will of the God, if we're fearing Him. We're walking in His will. We're following Him. We're being obedient to Him. And, and then we're pleasing to Him. And the blessings and abundance that we see that comes from being obedient to Him is ours. It says, who delights greatly 
in his commandments as take pleasure, uh, takes pleasure in, to delight greatly in his uh, commandments. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 111. It says, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. You see the, the reflection there. Uh, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. To delight greatly. Adam Clark, uh, he's an old-time Bible uh, commentator. He said, it's not enough to fear God. We must also love him. Fear will deter us from evil, and love will lead us to obedience. The more man fears and loves God, the more obedient he will he be, till at last he will delight greatly in the commandments of his maker. We're called as believers, as followers of Christ, to fear him, but also to take pleasure in what he's commanded us, to, to, to delight in it, to spend time in his word, to be that person who's taking pleasure in them and studying them like Psalm 111 says. Do we spend time in God's word? We stress it all the time. Are you spending time in the word? Are you studying it? Is it more than just I got to get up and take my daily vitamins and I'll read through a little bit here and there? But is it something where you're laboring in it? Are you spending time? Are you looking at Christ at what he's done, at his works throughout history as we read in the scriptures, all the things that he's done, his character, his nature, his miracles, the things that he said for us, what we're instructed. We should be in those things, delighting in them. When we fear the Lord, it, it should produce that, that delight, that pleasure, that love in him because we're seeing who he is. We looked at it again, like I said last time I taught, where we see how beautiful Awesome, gracious, loving the Lord is. Long-suffering, patient, mercy. All of those things. That's his character and nature. And as we fear him and we observe him and we spend time in his word, it's revealed and opened up to us. And it becomes something that we delight. We begin to love his word because we love him. It's his character, his nature. That's why the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we taste and see? We taste by reading the word applying it to our hearts and lives. Then saying, Lord, your word says this, I'm going to be obedient to it, I'm going to walk in this, and I'm going to see that I can trust you, that the things you promise are true, that I can trust you, you're faithful. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why as Christians we are created. We're created in him as we're, we're created into new creatures in him. We're his poema, that Greek word workmanship, that masterpiece that Christ has created for good works, obedience to him to delight in his commandments. He's prepared them beforehand for us that we should walk in them. And when we fear the Lord and we delight in his commandments, we have these blessings that come. I said Psalm 112 was difficult for me because as we read it, what we see in Psalm 112 is we see this picture of this ideal man who's following the Lord, who's being obedient to him. And we look at it, we say, well, I, there's a lot of these things that I would like to see and like to have, but I don't have them in myself. 
But the picture here we see is this, this ideal picture of the servant of God, of the one who's following him and delighting in him and fearing him. And it's ideal because it's rightly reflecting the God who's being followed. The one who we talked about in Psalm 111 is the one now reflecting and transforming us and revealing in us his glory and transforming us into the image of the glory of the Lord. Looking in a mirror and not seeing our face, but seeing the Lord. And as we behold him, he transforms us. Verse 2, it says, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. This is a future promise. That his descendants will be mighty on the earth. There's a blessing. We saw that in the Old Testament. These promises of blessings to the descendants of those who follow the Lord and trust him. Now, it doesn't mean, we see that in the scriptures, it doesn't mean that, you know, if I as a Christian am following Christ, that my children will follow Christ too. They have to make their own decisions. They have to choose to follow him. But we also see in the scriptures that in my household, if I'm following Christ, there's this built-in blessing of the righteousness of God that covers my children, that covers my household, because they're being raised in an environment of fearing God, of trusting in him, and the examples that are being set. But we see this, uh, this uh, future his descendants will be mighty on the earth. We know that ultimately this is fulfilled in Jesus, his descendants being mighty on the earth. The work that Christ has done on the cross in creating us, his workmanship, uh, transforming us into his image and his glory, uh, that if we follow him and we've been transformed by him, that uh, in the millennial kingdom we'll have that that role as priests and kings on the earth, ruling with him in the millennial kingdom, will be those mighty on the earth, the blessings of those who follow the Lord. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And it's not strictly speaking of offspring here when it says generation, but it's speaking of spiritual fruit in the lives of the people around the generation of the upright will be blessed. There will be a blessing that overflows from following the Lord, fearing Him and delighting in His commands, that, that overflows into the people around us. It says, verse 3, Wealth and riches will be in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. Now this can be taken out of context. In fact, you see it all over Christian TV and even on YouTube and all this other stuff. That, that if you obey God and you trust him and you follow him, then you'll be wealthy, right? You, you claim it by faith and you'll be wealthy, that God wants us to be rich. That's not what it's speaking of. It's not speaking of material wealth. There is some material blessings for, for following him. If we have wisdom in learning how to live our rights our lives rightly before the Lord then there are those things that are the material blessings that come but more importantly this wealth and this riches are the spiritual and the abundance uh, of the Lord's wealth and his riches that we'll have in our house in, in where we dwell the wealth and riches and his righteousness endures forever. 
It's not our righteousness. It's, the, it's Christ's righteousness. We have righteousness as we've placed our faith in him. The, the word says that, that we're justified by him. We're made righteous because of his works. And because it's his righteousness, because it's his works, then if we're trusting in him, if we're fearing him, if we're delighting in him, then our righteousness endures forever because, again, it's sourced in him. It's his. Stands forever. It's this perfect tense that it's there. The scriptures talk about this this kind of... uh, twofold idea of the man of God who's walking in him. On the one hand, as we've placed our faith in Christ, we're transformed. Now we have uh, the, the justification where we have the spirit of God in us. We've been made new creatures in Christ. We're, we're citizens of heaven here and now. We have the inheritance of Christ here and now. We have all of these things, this blessedness that we have. We have his righteousness imputed to us. All these things here and now. But then we also see, of course, like read Romans chapters, you know, uh, well, all of Romans. It talks about this where, where this, the, there's this dual thing happening where we've placed our faith in Christ. We've been made righteous by him and yet we still live in our flesh. Yet we still sin. Yet we still fall short. Yet, yet we still do all, the, all of these things. And yet, ultimately, if we have our faith in him, if we're walking by our faith in him and trusting in his grace and we're being obedient to him, we have that future that we look forward to where we'll be glorified and we'll have the end result, which is that righteousness that, that he's imputed to us, where our bodies are transformed, the, the corruptible is put on incorruptible, where, again, we've been, we're fully made into his image. That's the end result. That's the prize we're looking forward to. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Verse four, it says, unto the upright, there arises light in the darkness. I think that's so beautiful. There's no promise that we, as we fear him, as we delight in his commands, as we walk in him, will not pass through darkness. Remember Psalm 23, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We will walk through darkness. We've, we experience it. I was thinking of this verse as we were driving in to church tonight with all the fog that we had. It's crazy. I've never seen it that heavy and that thick here downtown Oak Harbor. Um, but there's that heavy darkness. You can't see anything. But then as a car drives up, you see the light that just illuminates everything. It's blinding with the fog for us on the other side. But uh, if we are walking in the Lord, if we have our, our faith in him, if we're fearing him, if we're delighting in his commandments, then in that darkness there will be light. That word arises means dawns. Uh, if we trust in him, if, if we're continuing to walk in him, we'll have that light that dawns in the darkness. We can look for his light, his, uh, the work of his spirit to make clear his will, to show us how we should walk and how we should live, to give us the hope that we have of the future in him, to give us the, the strength, the endurance, the patience to trust him, to count it all joy when we encounter various trials and tribulations, right? To, 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 to truly trust 
him and to be uh, reflecting his image. We're told that we are the light of the world by Christ. He said, John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. That was Christ. He came as the light into the world. And if we believe in him, we don't have to abide in darkness. We may walk through it. We may experience it in our lives, but there's light. Are you struggling? Are you walking through a dark time right now? You know, a lot of people, they have a difficult time with the holidays um, because of, you know, family things. Sometimes, um, you know, like for my mom, uh, her, her father died on Christmas Day when she was seven. So Christmas was typically kind of a hard time for her. Um, thankfully, growing up, just because of the work of the Lord and, and I think that the joy that she had in having us as her family, what she didn't have she ha- as a child she had now with us, um, the Lord turned that around. But there are a lot of people that struggle at these times. Are you struggling? The Lord gives us light if we lean into him. He gives us hope. He gives us peace. He gives us comfort and joy. He's given us his spirit. We should not be dwelling and wallowing in darkness as Christians. We should have joy. It's not because the circumstances have changed. It's not because of anything that we've done in and of ourselves. Because, but it's because we turn to him and we look at him who is our light And he gives us light. It's his character and his nature. Spend time in the word of God. See his goodness. The Psalms are so good for that when you're you're depressed, when you're in those dark times. Just the encouragement of the Lord to see him. You can walk with David as he goes through his dark times. And you can see how the Lord worked on his behalf. And that those promises that David had can be ours as well with, with the Lord walking with us where he can give us that light in the darkness. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. That's the work of the Lord in the heart of the believer. It's the fruit of the Spirit. As Christians, we're told to abide in him and will produce much much fruit. That abiding in him means resting in him, resting in his grace. Saying, Lord, it's not by my strength, but by the work that you've done. Lord, teach me to follow you and to be obedient to you. To say, saying yes to him when he's called you to repent of your sin. When he's called you to surrender an area in your life. When he's called you to just be, simply be obedient to him. To sacrifice things in your life that, that are, are keeping you from following him. All of those things. And... and He's given us his spirit to produce that good fruit in us and to produce those things. It's a reflection of the Lord as he begins that work in our our lives as we're, we're obedient to him. To produce the graciousness, the compassion, and the righteousness that he has as we behold him, he transforms us into that image. It's his character, uh, Put into us. How amazing that is. Uh, It's hard to even fathom or comprehend. To be gracious like the Lord. To be full of compassion like the Lord. To be righteous. And yet it's the work that God has given us. Because of him. He's created us for that purpose. 
says, uh, verse 5, a good man deals graciously and lends. Deals graciously and lends. As a believer, we should have a loose grip on the things that we have. The blessings and gifts from the Lord. We should be willing to say, the Lord's given it to me, I'll, I'll help you out with it. I'll give it to you. Do we, do we give of our time to those in need? Do we give of our time to the Lord? Do we give uh, uh, of our material blessings that we have, or are we greedy and stingy and hang on to it? This is mine. I had this plan for it. I wanted to use it for this. It says, a good man deals graciously and lends. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then verse 9, it jumps down and says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We're to be imitators of God. This is the high calling we have. This is the standard that we have. And we're to imitate Him. We're to follow Him and to be obedient to Him. And in that, dealing graciously. Dealing with the people around us. There should be that love. That's what First John talks all about. Is the love of God that should be demonstrated in our hearts and lives to the people around us. Because of Him and what He's done. A good man deals graciously and lends. Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We're called to be gracious, to deal graciously with the people around us, to not fly off the handle, when something doesn't go our way, but to be forgiving, to be gracious with the people around us, to seek to portray Christ in their lives, to seek to be obedient to Him, and to, to be like He is. He's given us His Spirit to show us, uh, to, to lead us, to direct us. He's given us His Word. And we can walk in those situations. And be gracious as he is. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. That word discretion means discernment. When we've walked with the Lord, when we fear him, when we delight in his commands, then the spirit of God gives us that discernment. Are you walking in discernment? Are you learning to discern? Are you spending time in the word of God? He, he gives us that open door uh, or that, that prodding of the spirit as we're reading it. And, and the Lord uh, shows us in his word how to walk in our lives, how to deal with the different situations. And as we are obedient to the spirit of God, then we're taught, you know, that discernment. I, I think the more that we are sensitive to the spirit of God, the more we have discernment the less we are sensitive to the Spirit of God. And I don't mean just this innate 
like this is just I'm a sensitive person of the Spirit of God, but it's choosing to be obedient to what the Word of God says and what the Spirit of God is prodding in our hearts. And as we be, become obedient to that, as we're obedient to Him, then our sensitivity increases to Him, to the Spirit of God and to His prodding and to, to his, his leading and His conviction. Are we learning to give up more of our liberties in Christ? We have liberty, we have freedom in Christ, and, and a great deal. We're not under the law, like we read about in Second Corinthians. We're not under those things. We're not under all the rituals and rules and, and commandments that we see in the Old Testament. We're not under that. We have great liberty in that. But at the same time, we've been made... Uh, bond servants of Christ where we willfully choose to walk in him and to be obedient to him. That means as Christians we should have convictions in our lives where, where yes, I have liberty to, you name it, to do this thing. Scriptures don't say it's a sin. I have liberty to do that. And yet the Spirit of God has pricked my conscience, has convicted me about that thing because it's robbing my time with the Lord, or it's uh, stumbling someone, or it's you, you name it there. And the Lord uh, has laid on us these convictions to call us to be obedient to Him in those things. And because it's a reflection of His love, you know, we all have different people around us who struggle with different things. We have people who struggle with alcohol, people who've struggled with drugs, pornography, people who struggle with, you know, all these other things. And as Christians, as believers, we have freedom and liberty. Right? Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things, all things are not um, edifying, right? Uh, so we as Christians, we should be willing to say, I'm going to walk in this conviction of the Lord. I'm going to give up this liberty and freedom that I have to do this thing for the sake of those around me, to deal graciously with the people around me, to guide my affairs with discernment and discretion, to deal rightly in this situation, to be led by the Spirit of God, to fear Him, to delight in His commands, to do these things, a good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. And then verse 6, it says, Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. To practice righteousness to, to put it into practice. And when we, we are putting into practice those things that he's called us to, to be obedient to him, then his righteousness is portrayed in our lives. And we have no reason to be shaken because it's a work that he's done. It's not our strength. It's not our work. It's simply his spirit producing fruit in us and us saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you and follow you. We're called to that 
just being obedient. And when we have that, that obedience to him, we have no reason to be shaken. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All these things that we've read in Psalm 112. The Lord has given us what we need. All those things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him. Reflecting his glory. It says who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, those promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When we've placed our faith in him, we're called to these, and his divine power, the work of the Spirit in us, if we're following him, being obedient to him, through the knowledge of who he is, he's called us by glory and virtue, and he's given us these exceedingly great and precious promises, the blessings that we're reading about, that we might be partakers of his divine nature. We sing it, it's Christ in us, his nature. We've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. It says, but, verse 5, for this very reason, promises, all the things we read about in Psalm 112, all this beautiful high calling that we have, there's a response that we're called to. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, putting effort into it, add to your faith, believing those things that we have, virtue, being right, righteous. To virtue, knowledge, a right understanding of the world, of sin, of Christ, of, of ourselves, adding to that righteousness knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, because we know our flesh, we know his commandments, we know his standards of righteousness, to self-control, perseverance, then there's that, that, that having patience to, to persevere in following him, and to perseverance, godliness, Setting, being set apart, being holy, reflecting him. To godliness, that, that uprightness, that righteousness, brotherly kindness, the love of Christ. And to brotherly kindness, then love, that agape love, the, the unconditional love. It says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will have its effect in us. It will produce those things that we're reading about in Psalm 112. It says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. If we lack those things, we're short-sighted, Peter says. We're not seeing the whole picture. We're not seeing the end result. We're not seeing the high calling of God. We're not being diligent in those things. 
even to blindness and have forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins, it says. There's that, that door, that open door to going back to the things we were forgiven from if we're not being diligent and following in these things. It says, therefore, verse 10, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Just like Psalm 112 says, we have no need to be shaken, will not be shaken. Surely he will never be shaken, it says. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's a work that he's done. It's not our works. It's not our flesh. It's none of those things. However, the response and the promises and the producing of the fruit of Christ is in obedience and following him. If we're disobedient to him, we're not reflecting him. We're not walking in his will. We're not going to produce that fruit. We're not going to see these blessings. The scriptures talk about being saved as through fire. There's that salvation where we get to that that bema seed of judgment before the Lord where all the things that we think we've produced in our life are burnt up like hay wouldn't stubble if they're not done in Him. But if we're being obedient, if we're being diligent, if we're walking in Him, we have no need for fear. We can stand before Him in boldness. We can, we can look forward to that day where we're in Him and we can hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right, to see that our works as they're tried by fire are not wood, hay, and stubble, but are gold, silver, and precious stones before him because of his work that he desires to do in us. And we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you and follow him. We have that. And we have no reason to fear, no need to, to be shaken. Go back to Psalm 112. Surely he will never be shaken the righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. That's beautiful. Everlasting remembrance. And we see, so here's all these future things. And then in verse 7, it goes back to the present. It says, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. So we have the future that we're looking forward to. Not being shaken, standing before him. Uh, all of those things. But then... Even here and now, we don't need to be afraid of evil tidings. We have that all around us. I mean, things are getting bad out there, right? Uh, there's, uh, it's hard to even really fully grasp everything that's going on now. You know, I used to do all those prophecy updates all the time here. It's, uh, I still have all the resources that I was using at the time, all the different newsletters and, and prophecy sites and the prophecy videos and all of these things coming in. It is so hard to follow and to track everything that's happening right now. And, and the Bible declares that things will get worse because man is evil, man is wicked, and the Lord is allowing the world to get to that point where the Antichrist comes in and steps up. It will get even worse when the church, I believe, is taken out of the way before and that restrainer is removed. We have that declared in the scriptures. Um, and, and there's evil things going all around us and the, it's leading to that point. And there's a lot of fear that's out there. But if we trust in the Lord, we'd have no need to be afraid. If our faith, our hope is in him, if we're fearing him 
and we're delighting in his commandments, then we have no need to be afraid of evil tidings. Our hearts can be steadfast, trusting in the Lord, can be sure, can be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's trusting in Him, abounding in His work, being obedient to Him. That's being steadfast and immovable. There's that, that outward or maybe that, that even that inward resolve to just trust in the Lord and to be steadfast and immovable. And you can know that your labor is not in vain in Him, but your heart also, that inward being, can be steadfast if you're fearing the Lord, if you're delighting in Him, because you're trusting in Him. Again, it's not in yourself. It's in the Lord. In verse 8, it says his heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Our hearts can be established. Uh, in verse 8 of Psalm 111, uh, well, uh, verse 7, it says the works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. What the Lord has commanded, what he's done, they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness because we are delighting in his commandments because we are trusting in him and, and following those precepts which stand fast forever if we if that's our foundation if the word of god that doesn't change is our foundation as christians then we can be steadfast in him. We can have our heart being steadfast because that's our foundation. It's him, not us. Our hearts can be established and not be afraid. Our hearts established because the Lord's precepts are established forever and ever. They stand fast forever. It's the same word there. But Hebrews 13 verse 9 says that our hearts are established by grace. Again, it's not us. It's what the Lord has done. It's this free gift that he's given us. It says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied by them or with them. To have our hearts established by grace. It's a work of the Lord. If it's in our works, a work of the flesh, if it's in our strength, then we have reason to fear. We have no foundation. But if our heart is established in the work of the Lord and His grace, then we have no reason to fear. He will not be afraid. It says, until he sees his desire upon his enemies. That's a hard translation in the New King James. I like the New Living Translation. It says, they are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Our hearts can be established the enemy seeks to throw fiery darts at us. And he, he seeks to um, weigh us down with condemnation. He seeks to uh, tempt us to do all of these things. But if we're trusting in the Lord, if we fear him and we're delighting in him, our heart can be established and to not be afraid. We can f have confidence and be fearless and face the enemy triumphantly, not because of us, but because of him. Because he's the victor. He's the one who's done these things. And we see this 
this steadfastness, this assurance being established. And then we see this, uh, again, this abundance and this, this blessing towards the people around the, the righteous man. In verse 9 it says, uh, He is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn will be exalted with honor. Uh, turn to Second Corinthians chapter 6. I'm sorry, to uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Paul talks about this, the blessings of the Lord, what he's done for us. We've been given these gifts, these generous gifts that the Lord has given us, these blessings. These blessings, yeah, chapter 9, verse 6. It says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, this is not this health and wealth, name it and claim it, you know, uh, prosperity gospel uh, of just the financial things, but it's this spiritual bounty. But it is speaking of this just giving to the Lord. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, that's a lot of all, may have an abundance for every good work. If the Lord's called us to it, he'll provide for us. He's called us to be cheerful givers, to give of what he's given to us, to, to do that, that physical sowing so there's that spiritual reaping, the blessings in him. And it says, Verse 9, as it is written, quoting this Psalm 112, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, the one dispersing abroad, and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us, to God, and then it goes on to talk about that. But there's this this uh, this spiritual principle that as we've been given so much by the Lord, that then we're called to give. There's that physical giving. There's the spiritual giving. There's that time that we give to disperse. And it's again, it's just a reflection of what the Lord's done. His righteousness endures forever. His horn or his strength will be in exalted with honor. And then we see verse ten. We see this this uh, opposition to that. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Right now, you know, we have in the scriptures we see there's a lot of different portions that we've looked at before where we see, you know, this, this you know, uh, the prophet or, or some of these men who, who look out and they see like in the Psalms, they see that the wicked are, are prospering, right? That they're, they're, they're um, being successful in their endeavors. Um, and, and there's this question of why, Lord, is that allowing, being allowed to happen? But the end result that we see, the promise that we see in the scriptures is that, that ultimately there will be grief for the wicked, there will be the gnashing of teeth. Jesus talks about that throughout the, his Gospels where he talks about uh, hell being a place of fire, of gnashing of teeth, of grief 
He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The end result. The desire of the wicked shall perish. It's the con- in contrast to the righteousness of the Lord. Again, these are all these promises, these beautiful things that we have that the Lord's called us to. That this, this is this ideal picture. Ultimately, it's in Christ. But going back to what we looked at in the beginning in 2 Corinthians, the Lord is doing this work in us where, where if we're being obedient to Him, if we're continuing to walk in the fear of the Lord and we're continuing to delight in His commandments, then we're being transformed into His image more and more. Uh, again, Paul talks about that. Romans 7, he talks about having this this law, this delight in the, the law of the Lord in his inner man and his spirit, and yet there's this law of his flesh that's battling against that desire to be pleasing to the Lord. And, and he ends chapter 7 by saying, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me? And then he begins chapter 8 and says, Praise be to God, it's in Jesus Christ. It's because of him and what he's done. And that's what we have we have that, that uh, ultimately the Lord gives us the, the fruit, the, the production of these things if we're simply abiding in Him. The blessedness, the being happy, the, the delighting in His commandments, all of these things we have if we're just being obedient to Him and following Him. You know, uh, at our men's fellowship on Monday night, we talked about Asa, who was a king. Um, and we talked about how Asa had uh, these opportunities to be obedient to the Lord, and in the beginning he was obedient to the Lord, and all the people around him had rest in the land because of uh, their truly being obedient to him. But as you continue on and looking at King Asa, you see that he, he leaves that place of obedience to the Lord, and the people and the land lose that rest there's armies that come up against israel and rather than resting in the work of the lord and 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 as we would see it in the christian life walking according to the spirit uh, instead of remaining in that place he he tried in his flesh to work out a way out of this situation and then we see the end result is asa he he grows angry at the prophet of the lord um, he, he really puts the people of Israel back into bondage. He oppresses some of them. Um, and ultimately, he, he grows sick at the end of his life, and he doesn't ever turn to the Lord in repentance and asking because he, he chose to no longer be obedient and to continue the work of obedience to the Lord. We've been given all of these beautiful blessings that we have. Paul talks about it, that, that we began in the spirit, meaning it's a work of God in us to produce salvation and good fruit. We as Christians, we need to continue in that, but continue, it's not a work of the flesh, but it's resting in the spirit of God. And that resting in the spirit is in his word, studying, spending time in it, listening to the Lord, falling in love with him, asking him to speak to us in our lives, and as he speaks to us then saying again, yes, Lord, being obedient to him. That's walking by the Spirit. And as we do that, then we produce the fruit 
and continuing in that. If it turns into a work of our flesh where now it's, you know, these rules, these, all these rigid things that we have, or, or just saying, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to do it myself, then it's walking according to the flesh, and that's an open door to disobedience and to stumbling. We can have our hearts being established. Just this beautiful thing that we have, the Lord reflecting in us, and we have that high calling. Christians, we need to be loyal to the Lord, to be obedient to Him. Times are getting harder. Things are getting uh, tighter money-wise for a lot of people. Things are getting difficult. The world is turning against. I mean, it's always been against Christ and His church, but it's more openly and and, uh, more loudly turning against the church and against Christ, against His people. And... If our hearts are not established by his grace, by what he's done, then we're going to struggle and we're going to have those, uh, that temptation to turn away from him. Things for us may be relatively easy right now, um, and we need to be obedient to him. We need to fear the Lord, right? That's the very condition at the front of this psalm. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, to have that fear and to delight in his commandments. And when we do that, we can trust in him to be pleasing to him. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren to demonstrate that. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We're called to that. As Christians, the demonstration of that, you know, again, as things get harder, we're called to love one another, to not clam up, to not shut down, to not lose sight, but to know we have this high calling, these blessings in Christ, what he's done for us, and to continue to just be obedient to him and loyal to him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would just make these things... Uh, settle and sink into our heart, Lord, this high calling that you've called us to, the beautiful th- promises that we have, this, this uh, beautiful picture of, of really the work of Christ in the life of the believer to produce these things. We're not going to see the end result here and now. Uh, we'll see it if we continue to walk with you and, and we'll be there with you uh, in heaven when we're transformed, when we're in your presence, Lord. But Lord, I pray that we would live as though we have these things now, Lord, that we would walk in these things, that we would be obedient to you, Lord. I pray for the people here tonight that you would bless them. We ask this in your name. Amen.